the first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 35, uh, verses 1 to 10. Isaiah chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool in the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and sorrow will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And the second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. If we've not met, uh, my name is Richards, one of the ministers here. We're going to be, uh, for a few minutes, thinking about those uh, that second reading from Ephesians. Uh, so if you want to have it in front of you and you've got a phone, I've even seen a couple of Bibles in the room. Well done. Um, so if you want to be able to see Ephesians 3. Uh, That's what we'll be thinking about. Uh, Before we turn our attention back there, should we pray together? Our Father, we have just uh, said that we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe uh, that these are his words, uh, words given to us uh, by you, through him, about your Son. And so please would you speak to us now, uh, as Paul uh, uh, as we've read Paul's prayer in previous weeks, would you open the eyes of our heart that we would know you better as a result of your speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it look like, what does it feel like, when God's power is at work? 
put that question another way. Uh, fast forward uh, four months and imagine you're at a New Year's Eve party, if we're allowed to have such things by uh, then, and uh, someone says to you, well, the autumn term, it was crazy, wasn't it? We saw God's power at work. What would have happened in the four months between now and then for them to say that to you? What does God's power look like when it's at work in a church? Well, that is what Paul is going to lay out uh, for us this evening. We're going to see in uh, what you and just read, Paul's prayer that God's power would be at work in a church. He's praying for a church who are discouraged by their circumstances. The verse before you and read, uh, he says this, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Paul is suffering as he writes this. He's in prison because he keeps preaching Jesus. And they are discouraged about that. You can understand that. You know, Paul, he's the leader. He's the great apostle. He's in prison. That's not great for our team. What's going to happen to the gospel? What's going to happen to us? Some of them may be wondering, is it safe for us to be meeting together? A similar question that some of us are asking at the moment. Is it safe to be meeting together? They're discouraged because of their circumstances. And Paul says, I'm not going to pray that the circumstances change. I'm not going to pray that I get out of prison. I am going to pray that God's power is at work in you. He writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Uh, Later on in the prayer, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Later on, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. Paul is praying for God's power to be at work in this discouraged church. What does it look like? Well, there are two things that Paul prays that God would do by his power. The first is he prays that God in his power, he prays that Jesus would live in us. Now, let me read from verse 16, if you've got it in front of you. He, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Jesus would live in us. Now Jesus does live in us. If you've read this far in Ephesians, in chapter 1 it's clear when a Christian believes in Jesus, God comes to live in us by his spirit. In chapter 2, as we come together as church, God lives among us by his spirit. Why does Paul pray that Jesus would live in us, dwell in us, if we know he already does? It's a prayer that Jesus would make himself at home in us. On the road that I live, uh, just uh, two minutes that way, it's, it's moving time at the moment. Various people uh, coming out, various people coming in. And uh, one uh, house of guys moved in this week and uh, discovered to their delight that uh, the previous occupants had left them a couple of bins uh, behind, uh, full with all kinds of gifts, uh, which were slightly rotting and smelling after the place had been unoccupied for a while. And, uh, you know, some, some throwing out and some cleaning that needs to go on. It's their home. They live there. It doesn't quite feel like home when that's what you arrive home to. So, you know, they're, they're sorting and cleaning and scrubbing and you know, boxes will be unpacked and pictures will go up. It is their home, but they're making it home. They're making it a place where they want to be. They're making it a place that reflects them. 
Paul prays that Jesus would live in us, that he would make us a home for himself. Because when Jesus moves in, let's face it, there are some rotting bins to get rid of. You and I, together, morally, we don't smell great. There is plenty of rubbish in us that Jesus needs to get rid of. And then things in us that Jesus needs to create and grow as he assembles the Ikea flat-packed furniture of love and joy and peace and and opens the boxes and unpacks the kindness and the patience and the goodness. It goes to the walls and hangs up the decorations, the the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Paul is praying that Jesus would make his home in us, would live in us, make us a place that he enjoys being. And that doesn't come easily. That needs God's power. And so Paul prays that Jesus would live in us. And then secondly, Paul prays that we would know Jesus loves us. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray, says Paul, that you may know Jesus loves you. Which doesn't come naturally to us. One writer, Dane Ortland, I read this week, he says, we naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Sorry, the images this evening aren't particularly pleasant, but uh, bear with me. Uh, Touches a slug for the first time, face screwed up, Cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. Naturally, we think that's how Jesus feels about us. We pray and we sort of hear a voice in our heads, you again. Paul says, no, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to have strength and power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. High and deep. Those of us at the prayer meeting on Tuesday, uh, Paul was speaking of the the peaks and troughs at the moment, the graphs that we see all over the place. And saying whatever the, the graphs, whatever the peaks and troughs, whatever the highs and lows, God's justice, his faithfulness, his righteousness, here his love is deeper and is higher. However low we are, his love will go deeper to grab us and pull us up to his heights. How wide is the love of Christ? Wide enough to reach to every human being on this world without any distinction, without any discrimination. How long is the love of Christ? Long enough to stretch back into eternity past when in love he predestined us to be adopted and long enough to stretch forward into eternity future when Christ will present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless because of his love for us. Paul prays that the Ephesians, that we would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's, it's beyond our knowing, he says that. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's too big, too long, too high, too deep for you to know. You can't know it, but I pray that you'll know it. It surpasses knowledge, but I want you to know it, and so I pray. Paul prays that Jesus would live in us. Paul prays that we would know Jesus loves us. And just for a moment, imagine what that would look like. 
Imagine it start with yourself. If uh, Jesus made a home in you and got rid of the rubbish, unpacked more and more of his furniture and his decorations in your heart, how would your life look different than it does at the moment? And then multiply that out beyond just your heart to all of us. As we gather together, and Jesus does that work in us, getting rid of the rubbish, unpacking his belongings, imagine what that would do to our church life together. Imagine what difference that would make to our conversations and our love and our service of one another. And imagine that we knew Jesus loved us. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine having nothing left. Again, imagine our church life together when there's nothing left to prove, nothing left to earn, nothing to hide. Our sin doesn't mean we have to hide from him and hide from each other, but we know we're loved. We can come to him, come to each other for help. Imagine what our church life would look like if we knew Jesus loved us. Imagine a scene, one moment, that you could look back on it at that New Year's Eve party and say, we saw God's power at work. And whatever you're imagining, Paul would say it's too small. He ends the prayer by saying this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's the kind of verse that we often end a prayer meeting with. But he's talking here particularly about God's power at work in the church, making us like Jesus, letting us know that Jesus loves us. God can do more of that than we ask or imagine. Whatever it is that you think the church could look like, God's power can do more than that. However deeply you think, you imagine that we could know that God loves us. God's power can do more than that. Whatever you imagine you're asking for if you pray these kinds of things for yourself and for us, God can do more than we ask or imagine. And so how does Paul feel about that God? Well, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Put that another way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen.